somehow they hook people in this thing that neutrality uh, is good. And there is <laughs> nothing in inherently good about neutrality if you think about it. Um, and I would argue whether Helvetica is neutral or not. What is up, typography enthusiasts? Welcome to today's first Pimp My Type talk. I have Jose Scalione as a guest. Jose is founder of the well-renowned or high-renowned foundry Type Together, together with Veronica Burian, and they worked for major brands like Google or Apple and designed serif typefaces for on-screen display. And this is also a reason why I invited Jose. I wanted to chat with him about what is it with the predominance of sans-serif typefaces for screen display. Why are there always sans-serif typefaces? We discovered that this might be a legacy issue. We also talk about legibility and readability on-screen He's sharing some tips also if you want to start and dive into the subject. What I really like about Jose is his calming style. He really calms you down and he's so grounded, but his advice is very profound and precise. Oh, that rhymes. Jose also shares how they as a foundry felt when they switched from static design to variable fonts and if we really need that design space. I also decided to release this episode as a podcast on all the common podcast platforms. You can download it because there's not so much visual about it or not at all. It's just us talking in this uh, episode. So if you're already listening to it on podcast, welcome. It is though helpful if you want to see the typefaces we are describing. I all summarized them with some images in the blog post, which you can find under pimpmytype.com slash talk01, where you also can download this episode in an audio format only if you prefer. So without further ado, I'm very excited to talk with Jose Scalione. Welcome, Jose Scalione. I'm so honored to have you as my first guest on Pimp My Type here on the YouTube channel. And if you don't know Jose, shame on you because he's, he's pretty well known in the typography and type design scene. He's type designer, lecturer and co-author, but most important, he's the co-founder of Type Together, a foundry that's near and dear to my heart since I was in design school. So welcome, Jose. How are you? Hi, Oliver. I'm so excited to be here. Um, a big fan of the, of the podcast and the, the YouTube channel. So Yes, absolutely. Um, Maybe the podcast is still to come. We will have a pleasant conversation and uh, I hope I will not say anything stupid and I will have to regret afterwards. <laughs> I'll edit everything out, so don't worry about that. So um, for everybody who does not know Type Together, maybe I have to summarize a bit because... Um, Yeah, it's one of these very influential foundries to me personally. And I'm, or most people might be familiar with Type Together from Brie or maybe also from um, Abril, which are very popular typefaces by yours. But Brie is 
I guess the most popular one, it's also in your logo type. And I think you're kind of victim of your own success. It always looks like, come on, didn't they come up with a proper logo type? This is just free <laughs> because it got you know, so popular, but they made this typeface. Yeah. You know, the story is just the other way around. We made really? the logo first and a lot of people kept asking us what uh, typeface that was. So then we decided to um, to do to convert it into a proper family. But the logo, yeah. uh, Veronica, she drew the original one uh, when we started back in uh, 2005. And this version is a bit bolder. Um, it's actually, you cannot make this version with the typeface, uh, but, um, but yes, it's pretty close. <laughs> yeah it's awesome it's awesome but because you always you just recognize it from from the letter shapes from the closed um, loop on the y and the g which is very characteristic and kind of because it's so popular you can't use it anymore to me uh, <laughs> but a friend of mine i also have a review on the channel about this um who used the typeface on his blog i recommended using the open type um, alternative characters for the z and for the g and for the y so it doesn't look that similar to other sites that are using it and it still conveys this round soft spirit so it's great that you always offered these options and these open type features from the early days on and i really appreciate that yes yes well let's say the, the smartphone uh, formats uh, gave us the possibility of just expand our creativity and to make um, font families more useful or more versatile if you wish yeah yeah sure so for a starting question what would you say jose is your favorite typographic mistake what you see all the time? Well, um, let's say the favorite using tabular numbers for um, business cards. That is a, a pretty interesting one. Um, Why wouldn't you use them? Because you end up with a big gap between your one and your zero, and, and uh, that looks, uh, it doesn't look that well. So whenever someone hands you a business card, the first thing you need to look is uh, how the numbers are, are typeset. Yeah, that's a good one. I always, uh, uh, yeah, it's something that drives me crazy as well. When tabular figures are not used where they should be and where line yeah, and vice versa, are, absolutely. Yeah, vice versa, definitely, yeah. So that's the, let's say, yeah, uh, that's something that uh, we typographers suffer all the time, but we gotta get a thick skin after being bitten by the typography bug. All right. So um, when I, when I um, discovered this subject of typography 15, 16 years ago, I was bitten by this typographic bug and I discovered how much things can improve or be better when you just focus on this stuff. Um, to you as a graphic designer as well and also as a type designer, why do you think it's beneficial to learn about typography? Right, well, if you think about it, Oliver, um, as graphic designers, what we try to make the communication more efficient, uh, not only for it to look beautiful, but also to be effective. And uh, most of these things that we will need to communicate will require written language. 
And nowadays, written language is, let's say, a good portion of the times, or 95% of the times, it would be created with mechanized writing that is typography. So um, it is uh, like um, knowing how to use a hammer for a carpenter. It's really one of the most basic tools that graphic designers and communicators use every day. And using it right makes a whole lot of difference. It is, I mean, the, the silly example that we were discussing or the numbers in a business card, when you are talking about a magazine, imagine that mistake multiplied a thousand times, right? Yeah. And, um, but I, I have the feeling that, yes, cultivating this kind of um, typographic sensitivity to understand how the shapes work and, and the role of typography in each piece of communication is utterly important for, uh, for uh, graphic designers. And, and nowadays, when I say graphic designers, I'm talking about really the broader range of type users because uh, a web designer, um, yeah, yeah. a digital designer is also a yeah. graphic designer. So, so yeah. yeah, so you always have some text you, you can't get rid of that. And if you have some text typography, typographic skills will help, of course. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, uh, sorry. And just to, just to, to wrap up the yeah, idea, sure. also the way that text interacts with everything else in a page, mm. it needs to communicate not only with the reader, but with the rest of the contents that you have around the text itself. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, what would you say? So when it comes to um, typography for digital purposes, you have a lot of experience in that. You um, also told me before that you made, uh, so to, to the people who don't know about that, because you did for the e-readers of Apple and for Google Play, you did the, the typefaces there back then, almost 20, uh, 10 years ago, when this wasn't that... Um, yeah, when, when displays weren't that high resolution and, and, and things also had to work in a broader environment, I guess. But um, when it comes to typography for user interfaces, and I'm talking about functional text here, which would be, let's say, a navigational element or on a tab bar or um, maybe just a short notification or something. So text that's small but should be very legible, basically. Um, everybody seems to use sans serif. Why do you think is that? What's, what's the reason behind that this is the major style? Well, I think that there is a legacy issue here that we are dealing with. Um, um, for those that, who are younger designers, they might not have lived the 90s in which the pixel sizes were like this big. Um, and there was no such thing as anti-aliasing. So let's say um, when you had to select uh, a tie phase, you really were limited to not only Georgia and, and Verdana, but also um, to serifs that didn't look well because of the low resolution or the, um, on the limitations, let's say, 
that, that uh, screens had uh, to reproduce these details. Of course, a lot of water had, has gone under the bridge since, since then. And now we have retina screens that are, that are much better and they can reproduce these details um, very well. Nevertheless, um, I think there, there is this thing that continues about using mostly uh, sans serifs. Um, regardless of the resolution, there is something that is true. One needs to look for typefaces, serif or sans serif, yeah. that would actually look good uh, when you're talking about, about screen. Uh, a screen and small size for type, really um, having very um, very narrow letters or, or very close terminals, things like that, that doesn't contribute towards legibility. Mm -hmm. But that is true both on screen and on, on paper as well. So the principles for legibility really are very similar in both mediums. Yeah. So it's not really depending on, is it a serif or is it a sans serif? The thing what, what, what I observed is that, of course, if you have more even strokes and you have um, more or little contrast in the shapes and you have open counters and apertures and this stuff so that it's easier and a, and a larger X height, that it's easier to read no matter what kind of um, decoration, let's say decoration, uh, adding the serifs on there is. Right, right. I agree with you. Basically, we are looking for <clears throat> um, open counters, large X height, low contrast, um, rather sturdy shapes. And that is true for small sizes everywhere. So if yeah. you want to, let's say, Let's um, pretend that dictionaries, like printed dictionaries, are still a thing that we that we will uh, continue to design, which is a, a big question mark. Um, you need to make sure these these letters are very small because you don't have what we call continuous reading in a dictionary. Basically, you need to navigate the pages until you find your entry and you read only a few lines of text. So there is no reader's fatigue, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in small sizes for dictionaries, you wish to have the same kind of features. Open shapes, open counters, um, um, to avoid closing terminals or shapes that can confuse with each other. Um, you want to have low contrast and, and generally shapes that are sturdy that can withstand the problems, the limitations of a small size reproduction. Yeah, so interesting because you say basically um, there's not continuous reading. That's a good point because in a user interface in an app design or something, except now for, uh, um, let, let's say an e-reader, okay? <laughs> let's leave that aside, yeah. But for an app design where you have small informational fragments you don't really uh, read a lot but you have to be clear on what the message and the thing behind that is so um it's th th what's interesting to me is that there is one particular kind of sensor it seems to be super popular among this 
user interface styles. It's not like, um, which is basically these neo-grotesque, Helvetica-like um, sans serifs, like San Francisco or Roboto or um, Inter, which are more or less the same or very similar. And um, why do you think is this kind of um, design so popular? I mean, popularity of the um, of the neo grotesque sans serif has come and gone through the years, and it will go away, and it will come again uh, for sure. Um, a lot of these, um, let's say, especially the families that that were created uh, a long time ago and they became classics. We need to understand that why they became classics. They are good, of course, but they were, they were there at, at the time where um, digital typography didn't exist and there were not as many options. Um, so yes, their popularity, of course, continued. And, and in some cases, Helvetica is probably the most uh, renowned one. They managed to sell themselves as a, a neutral typefaces. And somehow they hook people in this thing that neutrality uh, is good. And there is <laughs> nothing in inherently good about neutrality, if you think about it. Um, and I would argue whether Helvetica is neutral or not, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, I think there is something there about this uh, kind of um, very clean shapes that are a bit more inexpressive, if you wish, and that uh, for certain things, in some designs, they might be more, more appropriate, let's say. Mm. Um, however, I would be... Uh, at least not worried, but let's say I will be careful about um, what I was mentioning before that the shapes in the in these neo grotesque styles they tend to close on each other's to on, on each on the, themselves too much, and then you have uh, the uppercase S looking like an eight or things like that, or the usual problem with the I, the L, and the number one, yeah, things yeah. like that, that um, when you go on screen and when you need clarity of information, it might become a problem. Yeah, yeah. So um, this is, yeah, it's more or less, as you say, the image of being neutral or something that more or less because it was so ubiquitous, maybe because it was so ubiquitous. Helvetica is so ubiquitous that people perceive it as no design, which basically is not true because everything is designed in a certain way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So why do you think um, when I'm looking at Portada, which was one of the typefaces you released in 2016, where you claimed, okay, this now is a typeface where you, it's a serif typeface, which is really aimed towards um, screen design and also user interfaces. You, it comes with a lot of icons, 250 or something like this, which I find as a designer very helpful because you have something that's in the same design language iconography and 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 um, and and letters always are combined in a way and you don't have to figure out if this fits together because it simply does and um, so 
still, it's very unusual to see an app with a serif typeface. Oh, it is. It is. Yeah. It is. Why do you uh, think I mean, is that? Well, uh, I think it, it requires um, probably for designers to move away from their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And that takes uh, a lot of effort and work and time. I mean, it is easier to repeat what is safe and what is proven to work and that uh, what is easier to sell to, to customers. Um, however, looking for new solutions can be very rewarding and, uh, mm. and, um, and it is a good idea from, um, from the point of view of mental processing, right? Um, I would say that um, the thing is to understand what is the right kind of serif typeface. Yeah for, yeah, for user interface. And, and then we are going to be very technical about this because it's not only the details that we already discussed, but let's say, remember that when you print something, you're putting ink on paper, black ink on, ink on paper, let's say. Yeah. When the ink hits the paper, it moves away. So mm -hmm. it creates a, a, an ink splash, Mm -hmm. In the old days, this was called ink squash because when you pressed mm -hmm. the actual letter form in the paper, it would squash the ink away from the from borders, right? Yeah, yeah. How much does the ink spread out? It depends on the porosity of the paper, the flatness of the paper, the the ink, the press pressure, a lot of things. And you will say, okay, so. Um, really printing something is really complex, but having something on screen is complex on a different level. To begin with, you do not know what kind of screen the user has. Sure. And they are not all the same. And also, right now, you don't have ink invading the paper, but you have light invading the shape. Mm -hmm. So from my point of view, one of the first things that needs to be addressed is what kind of typographic color the designer is looking for. Mm -hmm. um, I am a big fan myself of really black letters, right? I like them on paper, on paper I like them on screen. So having the right weight is important. And now um, probably something that we should discuss in a, in, in a few minutes, but the variable fonts, they allow us to tweak the, the actual stroke width um, to, to a certain level of uh, finesse. But also um, remember that the light will invade the black area. So you need to work the opposite way. And back in the day, you would choose a lighter font so the ink will spread and you get the mm -hmm. appropriate color. Mm -hmm. Right now, you need to, to choose a darker font that will withstand how the light invades the shape. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. And at the same time, in my opinion, and this is just out of um, the, um, um, let's say the experience we got working with the, especially with the Google um, uh, Literata project that was a, a project for, for an e-reader. 
Um, after a lot of tests, what we found out is that uh, a rather generous letter spacing um, in text sizes is, is a, a, a big benefit for on-screen rendering. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Thanks for, thanks for elaborating on that issue. This is also the reason why Times New Roman works so bad on, on screens. It was made for print, for paper times, for the times, basically. So, and it's too sharp, too delicate. So, yeah, th that's the issue what I have with it when, when, I, when I see it on screens. And um, when you know what is it, it was intended for, it makes perfect sense. And this always, it always comes back to what do you want to do with your typeface or for what kind of application do you want to use it? So thanks for bringing that up. And um, regarding variable fonts and also the Literata project, this is very interesting as well, because uh, what I think is one of the greatest features that make my heart shine all the time from variable fonts is the optical sizing. It makes me super excited. Back then, we had certain styles, text sizes, display sizes, maybe title sizes, and uh, a type designer had to produce every um, style individually. And now it kind of is like when it was when it was in metal time, you could adjust the, yeah, basically the sturdiness of the strokes, the spacing and everything, all these tiny details, the contrast, um, when you set a typeface in different sizes, because it was the physical rep representation of a certain size. Now with digital text, even in photo lettering, it was, it's one shape reproduced across multiple sizes, who cares, whatever. And, um, now with optical sizes, this is coming back at a much finer and better level, which really excites me, which also gives us designers the possibility to adjust the weights and the sizes to these specific situations. And I think for you as a type designer or as a company, it also must have been challenging to kind of leave this world where it was more or less a finished size to a more fluid approach where like in web design or app design where we had to switch from one size to responsive web design where we had to make our designs more fluid. Uh, maybe you could talk a bit about that. Yes, uh, I mean, one of the problems is, um, is up to which extent you're willing to lose control on your design which as you mentioned, yes, in, in web development is something that you had to learn to do very early on mm. um, because um, you have different sizes of screen, right? Um, I think that is something that uh, we also had to learn how to do. Um, for us, um, I think we are a bit of control freaks. So, so it for me, at least, it was a, a bit of a hard work. I mean, uh, when you look at our Thai family, Adele Sons, which has seven weights, and um, the original one, we engineered each one of those weights and tweaking details in each one of those. And um, probably goes to extend that, yeah, you could still do it in variable fonts, but uh, it would it would be a bit of a hindrance to have seven masters on our mm, phone. Sure. So, so what we try to do is um, try to incorporate specific designs for certain letters that will not work as well 
when you move the slider. Mm. Most of the times happens with the letters with three horizontal strokes, like uh, S, E, uh, lowercase A, and so on. Um, the contrast starts to be a bit muddy, a bit, a bit mm. lost. So, so we try to focus there, but but we understand the importance of the variable form format, not only because of responsive design, but also in terms of weight, file yeah. file size. Yeah. Um, um, for for developers, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah, it offers you a lot of design space now as a designer, but also the question there is, do I need this design space? I ran into a, a, a let's say, a, a luxury problem. Having updated my uh, the fonts on pimpmytype.com to um, Piazzolla from Oerta Typografica, where they have this optical size, because I'm so excited about to use it. And um, the problem is, I, I think I'll have to subset it someday. I'm not into this at all. I have to figure out how it does. Right now, it's 250 kilobytes in a WAF2 compression, which is rather large. And, um, but I also need an italic. The problem here now is when the Roman has optical sizing, I can't just use the italic because then it would look right. off in combination with it because one yeah. has optical sizing, the other has not. So that's a bit of a bummer because now I have to load 500 kilobytes of font size. That's right. That's, that's right. That, a, but who that is cares? a problem. People download one megabyte of photos. I'll download half a megabyte of fonts. You have to live with that. And yeah, I'll just go with that for now. But eventually I, I'm going to have to figure out maybe to subset it, re remove characters which I don't need or language support which I don't need for my case here. But basically it gives us a lot of design space and always the question, do we really need so many different tweaks and styles since we want to achieve a more or less harmonious or let's see a repetitive system of visual language where if something's different, it should make sense. And if something's not different, it should be the same, basically. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, yes, I, I kind of agree with you. I mean, it is nice to have a super large family in terms of yeah. you choosing what you want to use, but you won't use it all. So where yeah. do you stop? Yeah, sure. I mean... Yes, you have, a, I don't know, we have a Bellarius, one of the latest yeah. family with a, yeah. a shapeshifter that goes from sans to serif, right? Yeah, yeah. And we ended up with 90 styles, that is nine zero. Yeah, yeah. Right. And uh, when you're talking about a website, maybe you will use six. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So that, is it really worth it to load everything or is it just better to limit yourself? Um, mm. Regarding character set, that is a different ballgame, probably, because um, in a globalized world, yes, you might think that you will all use only German or, or English or Spanish now, but then you need to publish um, um, an article that has a Vietnamese name on it, yeah. and then you're screwed because you have one letter sticking out of the page for you. Um, so in terms of language support, I don't know. Uh, it is a, a bit of a, of a compromise that one uh, would need to make there, right? Yeah, sure. It definitely is. You um, uh, agree on that. 
Sure. Valerius is a great topic because I wanted to come back a bit about the serif typefaces and also using in um, user interfaces. I think Valerius is a great example for making something that's, let's say, my personal opinion is that um, slab serif typefaces are the upcoming stars of user interface design. This is just my opinion because there are so many reasons for that. Um, they are more interesting, or let's say they give us a different vibe than the sans serif we all have. The strokes are still that contrasting, depending on the serif, but the slab serif basically has very contrasting strokes, so you won't have an issue with that. Maybe, maybe in the very tiny sizes of 10, 12 points, speaking in iPhone points, yeah, you might choose then the sans serif for the tab bar below. But it's still the same, let's say, skeleton visual shape. And then you could perfectly use it in a, in a larger size, the, the more expressive heading style. So Belarus gives you this vast design space and also comes with a rather large X height. I just, I just love that because it gives you the option to play around and, as you said, try something new and uh, not always follow the conventions. Um, what, what was the intention with Belarius? Was this something you wanted to achieve there? Or was it more some kind of a display typeface using for magazines? Because I see you have a lot of um, editorial focus uh, in your, in your uh, font catalog, but, uh, or continuous reading, as you said, but not so much then on user interface, or is this a benefit we can use there as well? Right. I mean, I think uh, our editorial focus at some point shifted to, I mean, it's not that we stopped doing that. We still do that. But we have a bunch of families that are more like we call a multiple purpose families. Yeah. Everything that we design nowadays is meant to be both for screen and print, everything. Um, Belarius in particular is part of a trilogy of typefaces. The first that they are meant to work together in an eclectic manner. The first one is called Catalpa. There is a, a titan typeface that has only very heavy weights and very lightweights, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's a simple type family, um, something that we like it a lot. It's, has a lot of punch and a lot yeah. of personality. Yeah. Yeah. Belarius was meant to be this typeface that you would use in, as the color typeface for everything. Mm -hmm. So it's something that could work on decks, it could work on smaller type, it could work on navigation, it could work on a poster if you want larger. It's, if you look at it, it doesn't have a huge range of weights in terms of typographic color. But it makes up for that with the um, uh, the capability of extending the serifs more or less. Yeah. And because you have different widths. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that makes a difference, I think. Yeah. And the, and that is part. And that goes with the third typeface, which we will be publishing um, later this year. It's called Aneto. and it's more of an old style. And the idea is that you can mix and match these three. Very, in a very eclectic way. Oh, cool. So uh, it's interesting that you think of it as a more or less as a, as a library of fonts that you can then use and mix because 
as I heard, to me personally, it's always the nicest part of a project mixing typefaces, but a lot of uh, designers um, struggle with that. So if you can provide something where it's a good combination, um, it, I think it's very helpful to a lot of people which are newcomers to typography and still want to achieve a good result and use that. Um, maybe another question regarding sans-serif typefaces, what do you think, or not mostly sans-serif typefaces, when we talk about digital typography, we also always have to talk about the issue of accessibility, which is then something people um, with vision impairments, the, let's say the thing isn't always just, okay, I can see and I can't see. The space in between is the tricky one. What, what, what to do about that? most accessibility sites recommend you using sans serif or open dyslexic or whatever, some kind of special, specially treated typefaces um, because they should provide an advantage when it comes to certain kind of mental or uh, visual uh, impairments. So what's your opinion on that? Because sans serif always seems to be the suggestion number one and to me as a designer i'm always feeling like please don't take the service away from me because we have or should make things accessible i don't want to argue about that but i don't yeah what's your take on that because the rules are very fuzzy of course because it's a visual medium you can't say this is the right way to do it and this is the wrong way to do it right uh, i mean this is probably part of a discussion that you know there are books written about this and um, sure, yeah. I would like to probably separate um, the visual hindrances or, or um, optical uh, engine problems from the dyslexic yeah, or yeah, yeah. the bigger dyslexic issues which are then, then let's uh, stick yeah. to the visuals yeah that's a good one yeah. right I, I think this this should be handled separately yeah yeah um, mainly because there are many things happening in, in dyslexia that we cannot fix with yeah time. sure yeah okay um from the visual point of view i would argue that more important than whether this is it is sans or it is serif it is the type size and the contrast. I'm not talking about typographic contrast here. I'm talking yep. about figure and background contrast. You need good contrast and good size if you want it to be legible. And again, the rule of thumb for anything to read well, you need large X height and, and features that, I mean, in typography, there is a very fine line that we need to walk where the design has to look consistent, but then shapes, they need to be clearly different from each other. Um, going back to the example of the uppercase I and the L, if you have a difference in size, if you add the serif, if you add an outstroke to the L, then you get something that is more recognizable. And that is true um, for, for other things as well. I personally, when it comes to legibility for um, more for continuous readings, that is for proper typesetting in a book or several paragraphs or, or an article that goes online, I prefer to have typefaces that um, that they are not uh, so modular in terms of letter width. Mm -hmm. 
So because of the nature of screen, a lot of the designs, they are very stiff. When you look at the width of the O, the A, the E, they are very similar. They mm -hmm. all look, they take mm -hmm. the same amount of, of, yep. of space. Yep. And, um, and the, the, the stress, the modulation is very vertical. So you end up with these lines repeating and the counters are becoming very, very similar. When you look at, um, let's say, BDPQ, you have four ovals that are like this. When you go to old style designs and you start slanting that counter a little bit, then you end up with the shapes being rotated. So they, they are no longer so similar, or at mm -hmm. least the shapes that they produce, the black they produce, they are, the, mm -hmm. it is not as similar. So um, having some variety in letter width and having a bit of slant in the stress in terms of continuous reading, to me, it is still an advantage. And to me, for proper paragraph reading, serif typefaces are still um, my number one choice, let's say. Yeah, yeah. Maybe also because the shapes or the letter shapes are more distinct because the serifs all make it. You won't have this issue with IL number one or uppercase I, lowercase L number one, uh, where it's the same shape, like in Gill Sands, the popular example, uh, a long line, basically, without any other hints what this could mean. Um, you won't have that in a serif typeface and a slab serif, of course. So um, to create a more distinct word shape or something, it will definitely be beneficial. Okay. Yeah. So um, what would be, just to kind of wrap this up, what would be a suggestion to you for web developers and you user interface designers and web designers to try out serif typefaces and leave the path of Inter, Roboto, San Francisco Pro, and all the other typefaces we open sense, of course, as well, we, we see all the time, which are yeah, not bad, as we already said, but they are ubiquitous and they are always convey one kind of mood. Maybe open sense not so much, but one kind of theme or atmosphere. What would what would you say to encourage people? to use a different kind of typeface. Right. Uh, I mean, probably there are a few pieces of advice that, that could be mentioned. One of those, and this, uh, I, will, I will mention this first because it's probably not something that everyone knows. And, and for both web developers or digital designers or graphic designers, the type foundries other to provide a service to you. So mm -hmm. whenever you are in doubt, you need to send an email to your friend typographer or to any random type foundry. And I'm sure they will be more than happy to re reply to your questions because that, that's what we do. Um, now, if you are going to start trying some um, serif typefaces for, for your um, design, whether it is in the navigation elements or in the actual um, contents that you're providing, my advice is to um, try to start with the sturdy type designs, type designs that do not feel delicate. Mm -hmm. The serifs are not too thin or too feeble. Um, that there is some consistency to the shapes, that they, they will withstand uh, the, this uh, action of the light that we were uh, discussing before. Um, 
then try to combine Serif and Sans in different roles and mm -hmm. to assign them very, um, very specific roles to each of those. If you have a, um, a nice uh, typesetting for the article in a Sans Serif, well, try making titles in a, in a Serif and see how you like it. And try to find um, type families that work together from um, speaking the same language in terms of how organic they look. If they look machine-made or handmade, let's say mm -hmm. when you look at um, the dawn, mm -hmm. it is a serif typeface, but it, it looks pretty much machine-made because yeah, yeah. it's yeah. very flat and and, yeah. and, and, and stuff. Like Belarius. <laughs> like Belarius. It's yeah, very yeah. machine done, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at the Garamond, mm -hmm. it is the whole opposite. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. if you yeah. were to work with a with Belarius or a, or or a very stiff typeface, then you would expect to have a sans serif that also speaks the same language in terms of letter width, vertical stress, and so on. So I wouldn't go with a humanist sans, right? Mm -hmm. So um, try to think about these these elements to not being part of the same or not being too similar, but to speak the same graphic language. And I would yeah. say that that is likely to produce a good outcome. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If you want this, as you, this is a great advice, thinking about the role which typeface should cover and to make things more or less similar if you want to combine them very closely or to make them super contrasting. So you don't have the Absolutely. issue with that, yeah. Uh, for a, a display typeface, for example, um, where you yeah, just can go crazy basically use whatever Absolutely. you like and then combine it with something else Absolutely. okay so um thanks a lot jose before we close rapid round of question three things <laughs> you can just answer right away what's on your mind and um <laughs> elaborate if you want to first one free fonts or paid fonts both of them Cool. I mean, we, we, we should use everything that is uh, uh, available to us. Um, I wouldn't, unless we have a limit in the budget right from the start, I wouldn't limit myself in the search. Yeah, definitely. Okay. M dash or N dash? Oh, bloody hell. You're asking tough questions now. Um, uh, I think it would depend on the context. For book design, I like M dash. Um, and also, but you need to consider the grammatical rules and the orthographic rules from each place. There are, sure. in, in some countries, uh, they are more, um, yeah, more um, uh, decided about this than in other countries. For book design, I would say uh, M dash is nice. And um, for um, magazine design, and dash. Great. If I, I cut my way. <laughs> Toughest one at the end. Comic Sans or Helvetica. Come on. The, the, those are for different things. I have used them both. I'm very successfully. I, even Comic Sans, I, when you put it on top of a cartoon, it looks fantastic. I have nothing against it. <laughs> Crazy. Okay, awesome. So thanks a lot, Jose. It was a, had a blast. 
learned a lot. And yeah, where can people find out more about you and the things you provide? Well, um, you can um, log on to our website that is type-together.com uh, or just search for type together uh, online and you will surely find us. Uh, we do have phones, um, but also we have a bunch of contents uh, for people looking for inspiration about uh, great designers using phones and even some articles about choosing typefaces, combining typefaces and things like that that are usually uh, useful, even about phone licensing. So um, yeah, make sure that you check not only the phone library, but also the blog. And, um, and uh, if anything, as a reminder, rem remember to just contact uh, Thai Foundries that uh, that is always likely to produce a good outcome. Thank you, Jose, for joining, for being my first guest. What a great reminder that Foundries are our friends. They are there to be contacted. I really appreciate this reminder. What did you think about this first episode? Find all the links and give me your feedback on pimpmytype.com slash talk01. You can write it in the comments there or send me an email. I really read and reply to them all. And I really, really appreciate it if you take the time to tell me your question, something that bugs you, something that interests you, or maybe somebody I should invite to talk to. Until then, I wish you joyful moments with beautiful letters and nice typography and see you in the next one. Bye.